0: I cut kind of off. No. All right. All right, people. You beautiful, lovely people of God. It is word time. you'll stick around though after church and keep it up. Uh, Good morning. I am Jeremy. I'm uh, one of the chair putter awares here at Redeemers. Uh, They let me up here sometimes. And we will be jumping back into Acts 13 this week. Uh, But let's pray. Good Father, I, uh, I have neglected my soul this week, and I pray that you would soften it and that you would prepare it for your word. And I pray that you would remind me what it is you want, um, what it is you want for my soul and what it is you want for thirsty souls in this world. Remind us who we are and what we're here to do, and we pray that you'd glorify in me. In Jesus' great name we pray, amen. We've been going through Acts, uh, talking a lot about what kind of kingdom culture are we building here at Redeemers, how do we live a life worth living together with God's Spirit, Uh, and Pastor Brett got to teach last week on joy and love (laughs) and peace. And I get to talk this week on spiritual bullies. We're digging into Acts 13. Let's break it into a few scenes. Uh, let's read Acts 13, 1 through 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is an important starting place because this is what the church should be. Uh, I love this list of names. I'm glad they took the time to do that. Barnabas, who's from Cyprus in the Mediterranean. Simeon, who's called Niger or Black. Lucius, a Roman name, of Cyrene, which is the major Greek city in North Africa. Menaean, who is a member of the court of Herod, possibly one of his relatives, maybe a cousin. And if you recall from Christmas, uh, Herod and his father were not Jewish. (laughs) They were Idumean, from Edom, with a lot of Arab connections. And Saul, who's from Tarsus, which is the Asian side of Turkey. So here we have Mr. Mediterranean, Mr. Black, Mr. North Africa, Mr. Middle East, and Mr. Asia. Diverse backgrounds, exercising diverse gifts. What are they doing? They're prophets and teachers, and they're anointing a pastor and an evangelist. (coughs) There are no one man shows in this church. They have a culture where they make room for people to exercise their spiritual gifts. And I love that. And it's so important for us to start there (laughs) because that's where Redeemers is going. And that's what makes Paul so frustrated as he starts experiencing uh, religious people in other places. And he has very little patience for them. Because in Antioch, they are a church that gives their best for what God wants most. They set apart Saul, Paul, and Barnabas, right? Two of their pillars of the church, and they give them up for the gospel. They let them go. They give their best for what God wants most, and that's lost and thirsty souls, Keep that picture in your mind as we begin their journey. So then we move on to the next scene in Cyprus, Acts 4, Acts 13, 4 through 12. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they'd gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magi, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elemas, the magi, for that's the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time, immediately, immediately. Mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So Paul and Barnabas set out across Cyprus, a bit of a slow start, wandering around from town to town, from synagogue to synagogue. Finally, they meet uh, this influential Jew, a Magi. I prefer that name. Uh, It's like the three wise men. A Magi was a royal counselor. uh, So they gave advice to kings. Uh, So they were intelligent. They were well-educated. But they also dabbled in the divine, right? Whether it was the pharaohs of Egypt Or the emperors in Babylon, they would seek out people like Joseph or Daniel, say, I had this dream, tell me what it means. Interpret it for me. Or the magi who read the stars and say, a king is born in Israel. They were royal advisors with divine influences. And this influential Jew, Elemas, was probably at first excited. Oh, here are a couple of fellow well-educated, divinely influenced Jews. Let me in- introduce them to my boss, the Roman proconsul of the whole island. At first, he was probably excited, and then something changes because Sergius Paulus begins listening to Paul and Barnabas and gets very excited about the gospel that they're teaching. And Elymas is standing there going, wait a minute, I'm, I'm the cool one. I'm the powerful one. Uh, These guys, I was supposed to show these guys off. And they were supposed to make me look better. And now they're taking all of the glory, which is supposed to be God's glory, (laughs) away from me and my status. And Paul looks at him and says, how dare you? How dare you steal the gifts of God and keep them for yourself? You you cannot stand up to our grace and our truth. So now you're trying to confuse this man so that he can't understand the message that we're teaching. How dare you? The lesson we take from this is to share a word of gospel life and beauty. We may need to fight for it. We may need to stand up to spiritual bullies in this world. Now, sometimes uh, they might be atheists, but sometimes they might be pastors. They might be really religious people. Like Paul, again and again, has to stand up to religious people in order to share the gospel with broken people. It shouldn't be, how dare you? (laughs) Now, first, we have to look inward. Thankfully, Pastor Brett, one of the reasons I'm here at Redeemers, is he is so humble, and he is constantly looking for ways to make room for people to exercise their spiritual gifts. Unfortunately, the news, and a lot of our personal experiences Don't demonstrate that. There are a lot of spiritual bullies in church, in religion. And our first duty is to look inward, not outward, inward. We who know the word of God, we who exert spiritual influence, there should be no tolerance for abuse in the church. None. Maybe you've been hurt by somebody in the church. I have. You probably have too. But let's build a culture where that doesn't happen. One way we can do that is by shining more light. Abuses happen in darkness. So let's create a culture of openness. We do not allow dark corners. to exist in our church. We do not allow people to abuse their ministries and influence other people in negative, hurtful ways. But the other thing that we need to do for each other is to speak gospel into each other's lives. Because if you've been hurt by somebody in the church, do not let one spiritual bully tell you who you are. Let the gospel do that. That's our first duty, is to make sure there are no bullies among us. In our culture, we must also critically examine the external, what's going on in our culture. And our culture is spiritually oppressive. It is. Uh, I will not agree with people who say that Christians are being persecuted, <laughs> you could make a case for it, I suppose, but I would choose this century of Christianity over any other, <laughs> right? We we experience more religious freedom here and now than any other Christian ever has. So please don't try and sell me on Christian or anti-Christian persecution. It's just because your kid can't pray in school? Is that your best uh, example of persecution? It's, It's not happening. But we do live in a culture of spiritual oppression. We do. We live in a sea of personal freedoms, but we're surrounded by sharks of mockery. Mockery is a bully tactic. Mockery is a way that people uh, not only reject something for themselves, but they try and make it feel like you're stupid or lame if you're interested in it yourself, if you need anything. Mockery is a bully tactic and it is everywhere. Every public statement. Whether you're the President of the United States or somebody posting a five second video on YouTube, mockery is everywhere and they will rip apart anything that you say publicly. Especially if it's spiritual. That results in a spirituality that everybody around us keeps private. It's too dangerous to go public with your spirituality. It results in a lot of lonely and self-centered efforts at spirituality, meditation, sexual identity, books on the occult, shrooms. You can pursue anything you want to spiritually, privately, not publicly and it's lonely. People who want to be spiritual, but they're not ready for God, (laughs) so they're trying to find their own way. They're trying to create themselves. And though they have freedom to try anything that they want to, to become spiritual, something's lacking. Because to be spiritual requires us to be in community. We, we weren't made to be individually spiritual. To bring words of beauty and joy and connection. In this culture, we're going to have to learn and we're gonna have to get the courage to cross some awkward spiritual boundaries. And when you do that, when you find someone who's pursuing their own spirituality in a private way, do not mock it. The last thing we need to do as followers of Jesus is become spiritual bullies. To try and bully them into the gospel, it doesn't work. If God has been preparing someone for the gospel, then you will find a bridge to say, I I perceive what you are looking for and I'll ask you questions to to see if it's working or not. Are you experiencing victory? Are you experiencing hope? Are you experiencing community? Because I have the gospel, what you've been waiting for. It does everything you've been looking for better. (laughs) Offer protection. I know you've been hurt by spiritual bullies. I'm a safe person to talk about spiritual things with. And I'll ask you questions about your soul. Because I want you to experience victory and I want you to experience awe. And people who are lonely and creating themselves do not experience awe. And we are creating a culture of awesome. That's that's what the book of acts is about. A book that is people are full of awe because God is doing amazing things among them. That has nothing to do with us being nicer. <laughs> nice people don't push boundaries. Nice people don't ask other people about their spirituality. You know, racism is usually only skin deep, so is being nice. It's skin deep. We need to go deeper than that. You know, don't don't say to someone, you know, let's just be friends and then eventually when we're comfortable enough with each other, maybe someday we'll talk about something spiritual. That's not what people need. In order to accomplish what the Father wants, he said we're going to need what the Father promises, a superpower, the Holy Spirit. Why do we need a superpower to follow Jesus in this world? Why why do you need a superpower? I always laugh in the Old Testament because when God called a prophet to speak on his behalf, he always hands them a helmet, right? a promise of protection. And the prophets must be going, I mean, if I'm doing your will, why do I need a helmet? (laughs) And God says, well... You're going to experience some resistance. Maybe a lot of resistance. Maybe everybody that you speak to is going to be resistant. You're going to need a helmet. And when God invites us to share the gospel, He hands us a superpower because we will be facing villains. We will. Paul and Barnabas' first trip. They're facing villains. We will be facing sickness. We will be facing addiction. We'll be facing spiritual bullies, demonic and human. Now, I'm not asking you to go out this week and blind some of your neighbors. Please don't do that. I wouldn't mind if you muted a few of them, but... (laughs) But you need to be ready. You need to be ready for spiritual bullies because it's up to us to call them out. It is to say you can decide for yourself, but you have no right to withhold the opportunities of God for this other person. You have no right to mock their interest, to mock their thirsty soul. You do not have that right. You do not have the right to shut the mouth of God who has been speaking since the beginning of creation. You do not have that right. Well, Paul and Barnabas move on to the next place, but before they do, uh, Mark leaves them. Just a little side note. John Mark leaves, and uh, some people theorize because of this encounter. John Mark says, Wait a minute, Paul, you just cursed a Jew in order to share the gospel with a Roman. That's not okay with me, and I'm going back to Jerusalem to tell on you. (laughs) It's one of the theories, and one of the reasons perhaps Paul never wants to work with Mark again later in Acts. They move on to Antioch and Pisidia. Let's read that. I'm going to skip a lot of Paul's speech and get to the results of it to stick with the story. So, Acts 13 42 through 52. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath as they were visiting the synagogue, sharing the gospel with uh, the Jews and the proselytes. After the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word, the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men in the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and they drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went on to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now, in the religion, there was a pecking order. I think we have a slide for the religious pecking order. This was the religious ladder. Now, you have the Jews who were uncompromising. And we talked a little bit, uh, a few weeks ago, about the Hellenists. The Hellenists were ethnically Jewish, but when the Jews were exiled from Israel hundreds of years ago, they moved to Babylon, they moved to North Africa, they moved to Cyprus, and they stayed there. So they're Jews who have not been living in Israel. They've been living in some of the major cities of the world, and they've adopted a lot of the Greek culture. So they've become worldly. But they're still Jewish, and they believe in Scripture and in the Word of God. Then you have the proselytes. The, the Hellenists were culturally corrupted because they were more Greek than Jewish, Culturally. The proselytes had converted to Judaism, so they were not Jewish, never had been, they'd never lived in Israel, but there was something about the Word of God that drew them to convert to Judaism. So they were ethnically corrupted, they weren't real Jews, but they were trying to be. And then, last of all, are the Gentiles. The ones who are culturally, ethnically, and religiously corrupt. So this was kind of the pecking order. This was the spiritual ladder. And I'm not going to go into Paul's speech, but in 39, he's talking about the religious ladder. And he says, And by him, Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And you can see why Paul might get into trouble with Jews. Because he's telling these people, these Hellenists, these proselytes, and these Gentiles, in this foreign city, look, you can climb the ladder, but you're not getting anywhere. (laughs) I I have climbed the ladder. I am Jewish, I am, I've studied, I've become the best of the Pharisees, I've climbed the ladder, you will not be free, you will not be saved by the law. Jews are still enslaved to sin and to the law. Forget the ladder, the ladder doesn't save, Jesus saves. You can see why he got in trouble with a lot of Jews. Because they were committed to their religious system in a way that kept them from pursuing what God really wanted. Are we? This is a little harder to relate to because we're not in a context of ethnic and religious opposition, right? We're not competing in that sense. We're not jealous of other successful churches in Redmond. Or of other successful online ministries, we're, that doesn't bother us. We're jealous of popular secular groups LGBTQ, Democratic supermajorities in the state legislature. That's who we're jealous of. A lot of us are more concerned about competing with other white people for our political rights than we are about helping broken people with their spiritual needs. And I confess it. I've been in the States for nine years and it's hard not to become jealous and mean. God help us to want what you want. First of all, help us to focus on the spiritual because there's so much to keep us distracted. There's so much non-spiritual stuff to be jealous of. And when we do focus on the spiritual, help us not to silence ourselves. We're not in a culture of persecution, we're silencing ourselves because we buy into this culture of spiritual oppression. No one is keeping us from sharing the gospel, except us. We're more interested in our own self-protection, right? Because we don't want to cause any conflicts. We have the blessing of God and we're content to keep it to ourselves. What makes us so different from the synagogues that Paul was facing? We're not really willing to fight the popularity contests. And this is the lesson of Paul in this encounter, which is very similar to the first encounter, but this time Paul ignores the popularity contest. I don't don't care about competing with you. I care about these thirsty souls and I'm gonna focus on them. The spiritual bullies can and will remove themselves. Keep your eyes on the thirsty souls. Now you might win, right? Like Paul with Alanus. You might use your superpower and you might win and someone might come to faith. But in this encounter, you might lose. Paul is reviled and kicked out of town. But what happens? The disciples are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) It doesn't matter if you win or if you lose. The popularity contest It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're liked. It doesn't matter if you're nice. (laughs) It doesn't matter if you're popular. Win or lose. Are thirsty souls getting filled? Keep your eyes on that. I don't have to remind you that the world is broken, but I feel like I do need to remind you that the world is spiritual, the world is thirsty. They are, they're thirsty and they're never content. When you look at the world, do you see dangerous and broken people or do you see thirsty souls? And I feel the need to remind you who we are. I pray that you would allow me that because we're not telling stories from Acts just to entertain you to idiocy. We're telling you stories from Acts to remind us who we are becoming. We are a church becoming like Jesus and doing the things that he does. Now, I'll be honest, I hate it when Pastor Brad or Michael or somebody says that. I went and made a list from the book of Luke, of all the things that Jesus does, and I'm like, I I don't do any of these things. I don't do the things Jesus does. I don't. And I was hugely discouraged, because every day Jesus is reaching across boundaries to offer the gospel to broken people. He is using his superpower to heal people and give them victory. He is. He shows us what a life worth living looks like, a life that revolves around God's heart and not about what our culture tells us to do and to pursue. He offers us his spiritual authority and he promises to share his superpower in order to do it. Whether we win, (laughs) stand up to the spiritual bully and free a spiritual captive, or whether we lose, whether we are reviled and trampled by our neighbors, but a thirsty soul comes to realize that God is still fighting for them. In Christ, we will care for one another's souls here at Redeemer's and we will care for thirsty souls in the world. That is who we are. And I'm asking you to join me as I I work on turning my own soul from discouragement, from, Jesus, I don't do the things that you do. Turning those, that attitude, turning your soul towards Jesus, I will do the things that you do. I will. You have promised that I will. And you have promised that you will give me the authority and the strength and the courage to do what you do. We are building a culture of awesome at Redeemers and we will learn to give our best for what God wants most. I want to invite you to participate in communion. As uh, we sing a song or two, come up and grab the cup and the bread and hold it uh, for Pastor Brett to come and lead us through communion and reflect on what Jesus is inviting you into. Reflect on where is your own soul and if you are ready to give your best for what God wants most.